Welcome to Bridal Love Ministries podcast with Poppy Hopeflish teaching on Song of Songs. A God evening to you all. Let's pray. Our, Our Father, Father, who art in heaven, heaven hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our treasures as we forgive those that sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. It's good to pray that. Hope you took your communion. Even if you miss, just take it the next day. Tonight, I want to introduce our team to you. We are four people. You know me by now, of course. Then there's my best half, my wonderful husband, protector and intercessor, Dion. Tomorrow will be our 47th wedding anniversary. Praise God. He kept us together through thick and thin, the hard times, the sad times, and the joyful times. We will be celebrating with a cake baked by me and decorations done by Dion. Sean and Hydley, our children, are the other two members. Hydley runs the website, writes all the emails, podcast descriptions, broadcast messages, and Facebook posts. Sean is overjoyed to be back as the sound guy, editing the podcasts every week after the live streams. We marvel at how God brought us together through them, moving in with us for the lockdown period. We had no idea that the Lord had the live stream of Song of Songs in mind for this time. Together we are working as servants in this vineyard of our Master King Jesus. And we expect to receive our crowns of righteousness, the crown of being right with God and doing right, that he will award this crown to those of us who lovingly do his will and yearn for and welcome his return when we will rapture his bride. Let us refresh our minds with the power of the word as we listen to the text of chapter 4 again. Behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. You have dove's eyes behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats going down from Mount Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn sheep which have come up from the washing, every one of which bears twins, and none is barren among them. Your lips are like a strand of scarlet, and your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like a piece of pomegranate. Your neck is like the Tower of David built for an armory on which hang a thousand bucklers, all shields of mighty men. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle which feed among the lilies. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee away, 
I will go my way to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. You are all fair, beautiful. My love, there is no spot in you. Come with me from Lebanon, my spouse. Look from the top of Armana, from the top of Senir and Hermon, from the lion's dens, from the mountains of the leopards. You have ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. You have ravished my heart. With one look of your eyes, with one link of your necklace. How fair is your love, my sister, my spouse. How much better than wine is your love, and the scent of your perfumes than all spices. Your lips, O oh my spouse, drip as the honeycomb. Honey and milk are under your tongue, and the fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse, a spring sealed up, a fountain sealed. Your plants are an orchard of pomegranates with pleasant fruits. Fragrant henna with spikenard, spikenard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, with all chief spices. A fountain of gardens, a well of living waters and streams from Lebanon. Awake, O north wind, and come, O south, blow upon my garden, that its spices may flow out. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its pleasant fruits. I have come into my garden, my sister, my spouse. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I have drunk my wine with my milk. Eat, O oh friends. Drink, yes, drink deeply, O oh beloved ones. In the previous session, Chapter 4, Part 1, we saw the bride growing in spiritual maturity. The bridegroom describes her beauty from head to toe, as we heard just now. He also brought the armor for spiritual warfare supplied by his father to her. He wants her to know how to use it when they go up the mountains where the leopards and the lions are. And in verse 6, she finally agreed to go with him, not knowing what awaits her there, but trusting him enough to give it a try. This commitment to be set apart unto him alone because she loves him is the basis of every mature believer's growth. It's also crucial to any mature ministry's further growth. Without it, believers Ministries and churches can easily fall into mere performance, influenced by the needs, demands and opinions of people, rather than the voice of God. So let's begin tonight with the five crowns. Last week we said there are five crowns in the Bible. The first one is the imperishable crown for the conqueror, the one who finishes the race. 1 Corinthians 9.25 Now every athlete who goes into training conducts himself temperately and restricts himself in all things. They do it to win a crown that will soon wither, 
but we do it to receive a crown of eternal blessedness that cannot wither. So when you're dealing with a person who's very down or having depression or have suicidal thoughts, just tell this person, please, just keep on living. Just finish the race. There's a crown for finishing the race. The second crown is the crown of life for the martyrs, those who gave their lives for believing in Jesus Christ. We read about that in Revelations 2.10. Jesus is telling us in these times, Fear nothing, my bride, that you are about to suffer. Dismiss your dread and your fears tonight. Behold, the devil is indeed about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested and proved and critically appraised. And for ten days you will have affliction. Be loyally faithful until death, even if you must die for it, and I will give you the crown of life. These ten days are not literally ten days. Ten is the number for completion. It means the time to complete a process inside of you, in your spirit and soul. So the Lord is aware of the fact that the enemy could throw you into prison. He may even allow it. But he remains in control and he's still on the throne. And it will take the completion of time to complete the process inside of you. And we can use this text as well for the lockdown that we are in. And every now and again we get promises that it will be over soon. And then it wasn't over. And now we're at the same spot again, hoping it will be over. But maybe it's not. To take courage and to realize then the process for each individual, for us as a country, is not completed yet. Keep your trust in God. The third crown is the crown of glory for the elders of the church, those who guard and feed the flock. 1 Peter 5, 2-4 Tent, nurture, guard and guide the fold, the flock of God. That is your responsibility. In the beginning, you were looking for the flock to join them. Now you are in charge of a flock. And the good shepherd is teaching you how to tend and watch over and feed his flock. He says, do not do it by coercion or constraint, but do it willingly, not dishonorably, motivated by the advantages and profits belonging to the office. No, but do it eagerly and cheerfully. Not domineering as arrogant, dictatorial and overbearing persons over those in your charge, but be examples, patterns and models of Christian living to the flock. And then, when the chief shepherd is revealed, you will win the conqueror's crown of glory. The fourth crown is the crown of righteousness for those who long for his coming, those who know the words of the Lord and who waits expectantly for his coming. 2 Timothy 4.8 As to what remains henceforth, there is laid up for me the victor's crown of righteousness, 
for being right with God and doing right, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me and recompense me on that great day. By now you know that day, that great day, is always the rapture. And not to me only, but also to all those who have loved and yearned for and welcomed his appearing, his return. The fifth crown is the crown of rejoicing for fishes of men, the crown of rejoicing for the soul winners. 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20. Paul says, For what is our hope, our happiness, or our victor's crown of exultant triumph when we stand in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory. Those to whom you speak, they are your glory. You can earn four crowns. Only the martyr's crown Jesus alone knows who will be a martyr. In the book of Revelation we learn what will we do with these crowns. We will cast them down before the Father in worship. The great wedding supper of the Lamb described in Revelation 19 is the foundation of everything that our Father has planned since the beginning of the world. God created man so that his son Jesus could have a bride. And at the end, Jesus will bring his whole eternal family into his Father's house. We will be one big eternal family of Jesus and we will be in our Father's house. Now it was interesting in this week there was an ad for a huge concert which Lady Gaga is organizing. And what is the theme of this concert with about 20 well-known stars and singers and idols? The name of the concert is One World Together at Home. Can you see the counterfeit of the enemy? He took his blueprint from God's word because he knows we will be one family together in our Father's home. The final cry of the body of Christ will be that of a bride. The intimate unity between the bride and the Holy Spirit in these last days will intensify like never before. It will rise into a climax for the wedding celebration of the Lamb where everyone will cry, Come Lord Jesus, come and take us with you to where you are. Do you still remember the scripture about this, which we find when you will come and how it will happen? You've got to know it. If anyone asks you, you can quote it, 1 Thessalonians 4, from verse 16. In verse 9, he is so joyful. He's still describing her beauty. You have ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. You have ravished my heart with one look of your eyes and one link of your necklace. This is the first time he calls her my spouse. And that is because she said, I will go with you to the mountain. He leads her step by step, enlarging her heart to receive his love. He never tires of telling you how much he loves you. 
Beloved, no one can love you like he does. When he says you've ravished my heart, it means to captivate, to be overcome with, enchanted. He is overcome with emotion and intoxicated with love for you, his beautiful bride who has stolen his heart. And his only desire is to draw you ever closer into himself. You know that song we sing, Draw Me Close to You, Never Let Me Go? He is singing the same song to you. He will draw you closer into himself until you are one with him. He sees her undivided heart. He sees her gaze fixed on him alone, dove's eyes. He says, with one look of your dove's eyes, one glance, he is overcome. He is ruined by it. In Hebrew, the word ravished can also be translated as wounded. He's saying, you have wounded me twice over when you keep your eyes on me. Turn your eyes on Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow slowly dim in the light of his glory and his grace. She wounds him with her gaze, with that look in her eyes. And even though she has suffered pain, she still chooses to keep her focus on him. Isaiah 30, 20-21 tells us how that is possible. She says, And though the Lord gave me bread of adversity and water of affliction, or maybe you are having it now, and though the Lord gives me bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet my teacher will not hide himself. My eyes will constantly behold my teacher. And your ears? Your ears will hear a word behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it when you turn to the right and when you turn to the left. This is the time where all our spiritual senses are sharpened because we're locked down in the king's chamber. You will hear more. You will see more. You've got nobody to run to. No other person's opinions to get. You sit and you sit with him and you wait until you hear his word saying, this is the way, my beloved, walk in it. He says, you kept trusting me, you kept relying and depending on my love for you, and even when it felt as though you were dying. She's identifying with Job. Maybe you're having a Job experience right now. Job thirteen fifteen. She says, like Job said, I do it, because though he slay me, I will trust in him. Though he slay me, yet will I wait for him and trust him. And behold, he will slay me, and I have no hope. That's how you may feel. That's in your soul. Nevertheless, with your spirit you say, I will maintain and argue my ways before him, even to his face. In Job 19, she identifies with Job again where he says, For I know my Redeemer and my Vindicator lives, and at last he, the last one, will stand upon the earth. And after my skin, even this body has been destroyed, then from my flesh or without it, I shall see God, 
whom I, even I, shall see him for myself and on my side, and my eyes shall behold him, and not as a stranger, because you've learnt to know him intimately. So you will expect, when you see him, to know him, and not as a stranger. Yet, she's in touch with her emotions. The next moment she says, but my heart pines away and is consumed within me. You see, anyone who loves God with this kind of passion and devotion becomes a God catcher. Remember, Tommy Tenney spoke about a God chaser. And then you become a God catcher. The bridegroom calls her sister and spouse. That is the unique relationship between Jesus and every child of God because he is your Lord, your Savior, your God, your King, your high priest and best friend, your brother and your bridegroom. Verse 10, he says, How fair is your love, my sister, my spouse. Second time he calls her my spouse. How much better than wine is your love and the scent of your perfumes than all spices? She became his spouse when she said yes to him. He repeats her own words of chapter 1 where she said, Your love is better than wine. Now he's drinking from her, telling her, And your love is better than wine. You see, it's intimacy. He wants to drink from you as much as you want to drink from him. He already knows the works that he has prepared for her. And he knows she will be able to do all things through Christ, her bridegroom, who strengthens her. Ephesians 3.16 He's so excited because her lovely Christ-like fragrance will attract and win many souls to him. Remember in chapter 1 she was overwhelmed with his sweet fragrance. Now she's also spreading this fragrance and attracting people to him. Verse 11 Your lips, O my spouse, drip as the honeycomb. Honey and milk are under your tongue and the fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. The bride has his full attention. He takes delight in every word she speaks. Malachi 3.16 I'll read that later on. She earned her honeycomb and milk on the mountains of Lebanon because she was victorious. Remember, the mountains of Lebanon is where the spiritual warfare had to take place, where she was betrayed, where she had to wear her armor, where the leopards and the lions dwell. You can't change a leopard's spots. That means you will experience betrayal just like Jesus. She had to see the lions and deal with them that came and roared as if they were the Lion of Judah. But they only roar like a lion, the enemy. There's only one that really roars, and that's the Lion of Judah. She also got the honey there. The honey under her tongue is for her disciples. Proverbs 16.24 She has pleasant words, and they are as honeycomb, sweet to the mind and healing to the body. When she speaks these honeycomb words, she gives wisdom, which is sweet to the hearer's mind, and she speaks healing to the hearer's body. 
Her lips is always full of praise, Hebrews 13, 15. Through him, she's constantly and at all times offering up to God a sacrifice of praise, no matter what. And this sacrifice of praise means she chooses to worship, even when times are hard. That is the fruit of her lips. And according to Ephesians 3:16. He grants out of his rich treasury of his glory to her, that she will be strengthened and reinforced with mighty power in her inner man by Holy Spirit himself indwelling in her innermost being. O oh, beloved, may you tonight experience this, that he comes to you, that you will have an experience of the manifest presence of Jesus, where he will come and strengthen you, where he will reinforce you with his mighty power in your inner man by the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit himself indwelling your innermost being and personality will do this for you. Her lips are purified because he purified them with the coal of fire when she allowed him to kiss her. Isaiah 6 verse 5 to 8. He kisses her with his words and it becomes her language. She becomes a pure channel for the word of God. Therefore, remember, beloved, every time you read or sing or meditate aloud on the word, you are receiving the kisses of the bridegroom. How can that be? Of course, he is the word that became flesh. This wonderful fragrance of her garments, her clothes, represents her deeds. Beloved, even the smallest deed or act of service in these times is not unnoticed in God's eyes. Where the world is trying to isolate us, to just care for yourself and about yourself, we are turning the other way. We do make contact. We do show that we care. Every little opportunity you get to go to the shop, Speak to people. Speak to the person behind the till. Speak to the guy who puts in your petrol. Those are opportunities. In these days, we are offering the power of the Holy Spirit. In verses 1 to 11, the bridegroom described her physical appearance. Now, from verses 12 to 15, he goes and describes her characteristics because this is meant to be typical of her ministry also. This is again a turning point, because she is in full summer. She's teaching and talking and bearing fruit. But remember he said in chapter 4, I come as the gardener to prune you. He sees she's bearing fruit, and everyone eats of it. He sees her lovely streams coming forth from her belly, from her innermost being. But she allows everyone to drink from her fountain. So there's another lesson that she has to learn. She must yet understand he is jealous of his garden. He is jealous of his fountain. His bride is his garden and the pride of his life. She is his prized possession for whom he paid dearly. So he watches over you. He says you are a spring and then a fountain sealed. 
so the water is kept unpolluted. He seals you off so that not just anyone can approach to drink from your fountain and pollute the water. In marriage, a husband is advised to drink water from his own stream, Proverbs 5.15. The bride is the stream from which the bridegroom drinks, so she is set apart for him alone. He wants you to be a watered garden, a spring whose waters will never run dry. Isaiah 58:11 If you allow everyone and anyone to come and drink as much as they want your water will run dry So that's why he comes to seal her off How does he do this When he seals you off he actually sets you apart We feel sealed off locked in but actually we are set apart by God Remember your first seal that was when he sealed you with the Holy Spirit, when you became born again, Ephesians 1, 13. In Revelation 7, verse 3, we read, The angel marks the children of God on their foreheads to protect them during the end times. And in Song of Songs 8, verse 6, he tells her to wear him as a seal upon her heart and upon her arm. No wonder the enemy is so bent on sealing us with a mark of the beast upon the hand and upon the forehead. He got this idea from Jesus. But if you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, you are already sealed on your forehead. This time of seclusion and separation unto him is very important for your spiritual growth. So let's stop our murmuring and just do our daily tasks and even in that, keep your intimacy going. Talk to him all the time. We will come out of this time of seclusion, of time of lockdown, and look back on it and realize, actually he was very close to me all the time. It is a season for experiencing everything that you know in your head, all your Bible knowledge, but not with your heart. He's working with our hearts now. He's testing us in everything that we know, if it's in our hearts. So he comes and he hems her in with a wall, so that she cannot leave before he is finished. Oh, how much can we identify with this? We so long to be able to leave the house now, to leave the lockdown and go where we want to go. But in Song of Songs we see we cannot leave before he is finished. And we know the ripple effect. It starts with you and me, beloved. And then you and your family, the second circle. First it's you and him. Then it's you and your family. Then it's you and your neighbors or your city or your town or your workplace or your school. And then it's you and the country, your whole country. We've learned to pray for our country as one because of all the hardships we endure. So actually it feels hard, but we are growing into spiritual maturity. The bride feels cut off from all forms of fellowship. Can you identify with that? In the beginning we all cheered each other up and whatsapps and we're on the phone all the time. And then comes a time where you feel, I need flesh and blood now. I need to go and have my cup of tea and 
slice of cake at the coffee shop now, because that's fellowship. And the men, they have their own ways of having their fellowship. But it seems as though there's no one. She feels as though she has lost everything and everyone that she was familiar with. He is all she has now. That's where we are. Because Psalm 139, he says, David said, Lord, you have beset me and you have shut me in behind and before and you laid your hand upon me. And we all can identify with that. This is a season where our plants in the garden start growing, where we will bear more fruit, and the nine plants mentioned in verses 13 and 14 are parallel to the nine fruits of the Holy Spirit. This is a testimony of the growing maturity of your spiritual life. When I was writing this book and I got to this piece, that the morning I woke up, the Lord said to me, With what will you feed me today? And as I worked through this Galatians 5.22, I, I tried going through the list of the nine fruits and I got to one and a half because I just felt I'm failing all the way. I just don't pass this test of the fruits of the Spirit because I was trying so hard. And then I said, Lord, I only have one and a half fruit. And then he said to me, are you saying I am a bad gardener? And I had to repent and say, oh, sorry, Lord, no, you're a very good gardener. So that day I stopped trying to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I just fell in love with Jesus more and more and just talked to him, keep intimacy, and this fruit will be there. It will come. In verses 13 and 14, he's telling her what's happening. In this time that's so bad. Your plants are an orchard of pomegranates with pleasant nuts and fruits, fragrant henna of spikenard, spikenard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon with all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloe with all cheap spices. He's naming all her attributes, all her characteristics. He says you became an orchid. It speaks of your whole life and your ministry. When he gets to the pomegranate, remember that's the symbol for your emotions. He says you are quick to repent. But often you do not give me your emotions. You just give me your will when you decided to forgive, when you have been hurt. And you bless the person and you move on. But the arrow is still there. The emotion, the pain is still there. He says that's what I want. The pomegranate started as a little green fruit, but the crown is at the top, showing it is supposed to grow into being a queen. And then the little cheek starts getting red when she falls in love with him. And then she gets redder and redder and redder, and he's telling her, there comes a time in my life, I see the little cracks, that I'm going to break open, my beloved, this pomegranate. I'm going to open, break open your heart, and I want your emotions so I can heal you. That's the way you will become emotionally transparent. The henna blooms and the spikenard are evidence of the deep work that is done in her. Henna symbolizes reconciliation. 
How many reconciliations took place during this lockdown time? The spikenard is her extravagant love for him. Yeah, with all the worship we are playing, we just fall in love all over and over again. We praise him. Her flowers are symbolic of praise, thanksgiving and spiritual maturity. In this time of seclusion, beloved, you will see and hear much more. Things that you wish you could share with others. But the bridegroom says, no, it's not time yet, my enclosed garden. He will tell you when you can share what. Her spiritual senses are becoming much more sensitive. We feel like we've, we're getting dumb. But he's telling you the opposite. She's quicker to hear and obey than before. But right now, we don't experience that. But he says, this is what's going on inside of you. Believe me, beloved. Trust me. He says, everything started in a garden, you know. I created Adam for one reason only, my love. I wanted someone made in my image to talk to and to fellowship with. That's why I made you. And I made you in my image to talk to you, to fellowship with you. Stop trying to perform to impress me. Psalm 17.15 says it so beautifully. As for me, I will behold your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with your likeness. Go to bed, go to sleep, and just behold his face. Tell him, O oh Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I see. And when you awake, speak to him first thing in the day. Because when you awake, you awake with his likeness. The saffron, the calamus, and the cinnamon are all fragrant spices representing the fragrance of your life and your good deeds. Saffron represents the delicate dealings of God with you. Calamus speaks of the redemption price he paid for you. Cinnamon speaks of holiness and righteousness. And the incense are your prayers of intercession. With that we can identify all these other things. It's like words. He's just speaking all these words. I can't see anything of this in my life. But he says, I'm working it in. I'm working it in. Trust me, especially in these times. In Psalm 141.2 we read, Let my prayer be set forth as incense before you, the lifting up of my hands as an evening sacrifice. Every prayer, how small, how softly whispered, is incense to him, if you do it in love. Every time you lift up your hands to him, it's an evening sacrifice. In Revelation 8.4 we read, And the smoke of the incense, the perfume, arose in the presence of God with the praise of the people of God, the saints, from the hand of the angel. All this praise goes up. Even if you feel you can't pray, you don't know the right words because that's what the enemy tells you. Just speak it out. Halfway on its way to heaven, the angels catches your prayers. They add incense to it to purify it. And they offer it to God as a purified prayer. And you know in the end in Revelation, it says at the end, those prayers that was 
cried out to God, How long, Lord? How much blood more to flow? How many people more to die untimely? All these martyrs cried the same thing to God. They said, How long, O God? How long? But at the end of Revelation, we see the angels takes fire from the altar and mixes it with the prayers and it's poured out onto the earth. When that fire touches the earth, it's God's wrath. It is judgment. Judgment will come. Meanwhile, you are his garden and he is busy with the fruit of Galatians 5, 22 and 23. He says, But the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the work which his presence within you accomplish, the fruit of my Holy Spirit in you accomplishes the following. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Gentleness is also meekness and humility. Self-control. It includes self-restraint and continence. He says, there is no law against these things. I will work it through. Whew. Then he comes to her. And Isaiah 5 verse 1. He asks you this question. It's spoken by Isaiah. Let me as God's representative sing of and for my greatly beloved God the Son Attend the song of my beloved concerning his vineyard, his chosen people. My greatly beloved, that's Jesus, had a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. That's you. You are his vineyard. Remember, he comes as the gardener to prune his vineyard. Verse 2. And he dug and trenched the ground and gathered out the stones from it and planted it with the choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it, and hewed out a winepress in it. When he dug and trenched the ground, and gathered out the stones, that's when he was doing deep cleansing and healing. He removed the heart of stone. He trenched your ground, break up the fallow ground. He was doing that. And then he planted this vineyard, this intimacy inside of you. And then he built a tower in the midst of it to watch out for you, to care for you, to protect you. And then, in faith, he hewed out a winepress in it. See, he expects his bride to grow into spiritual maturity, to have a beautiful vineyard, and that he will have her wine. And then he looked for the bride to bring forth these grapes. But she only brought forth wild grapes. Now he's asking us. I ask you, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, men of Judah, judge now, I pray, between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to bring forth grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? He's asking you tonight, beloved. I've done all this for you. I did it on the cross when I cried out, Tetelestai, it is finished. But I still see your vineyard has only got wild grapes. 
Is there anything more that I could have done for you that I have not done? Just tell me and I'll do it. And we have to answer him, no, Lord. There's nothing more that you can do. You did everything. So if people don't change their ways, he's telling you in verse 5, what is the consequence? I'll tell you now what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, that special hedge of protection that he puts around you. And the vineyard shall be eaten and burned up by the foxes, burned up in hell. I will break down its wall and it shall be trodden down. That's the judgment of God. You see, his desire was that every soul ever born would become part of his bride. I love dreaming about that when I look at all these clips on sustainability of earth and the problem with the population exploding and all these wise guys telling us there's too many people, they've got to lessen the people, they've got to kill the people because earth can't carry us all. But God created a universe that every soul ever born would find a place, a lot of space. That's our eternal home. So imagine every soul ever born accepted Jesus and became a bride and went to heaven. Heaven would still be able to sustain every soul. How God must laugh at this nonsense that people are speaking and thinking. They are very clever. The further he goes, the more intensely he describes her. He said first she was only a garden. Then she became a fountain within the garden. Now he sees she is growing spiritually, mature. Her life and her ministry are bearing fruit. He describes everything in plural form. Verse 15, he says, You're a fountain of gardens. You're a well of living waters, streams from the Lebanon. Everything in plural. His anointing is now resting upon her. There's the overflow of her fountain to other gardens. The well is the place where she stores water for dry seasons. Her deep trust in him is her testimony. She has a whole well full of testimonies of his goodness, his faithfulness, his provision, his healing, his love, his power, and his holiness. Oh, brother and sister, let us fill up our wells with testimonies of God, what he did for you, his goodness, his faithfulness to you, his provision, Jehovah Jireh, his healing, his love, his power his holiness she's firstly a fountain like a very hardly visible underground fountain then she starts to fall in love and she becomes a well then she starts storing up water for the dry seasons then the well can't contain anything anymore and she starts being a stream of living water it's all because of her time alone with the bridegroom that alone time, winter time, was the underground fountain. She was fed in the king's chambers, and the only visible evidence of this is that it's now become a fountain. She becomes so saturated that the fountain starts bursting and overflow above the ground. It becomes a stream flowing down the mountains of Lebanon. 
it multiplies into streams of living water flowing from her inner being as a result of her experiences in the throne room. This is actually Ezekiel 47 verse 1 to 12 where he had to go in deeper and deeper, first ankle deep, then knee deep, then waist deep and then when he gives over totally the water is over his head. See, he will not rush you. If you're scared of the Holy Spirit, if you're not acquainted with him, he will wait for you, even if you only dip your big toe into the stream of the Holy Spirit. And then he will encourage you and love you until you put your ankle. And then he will prod you and encourage you even more to go knee deep into the power of the Holy Spirit. And just when you feel comfortable, he says, what about another dive into this waters of the Holy Spirit? Go waist deep. And that's when you start to feel you're beginning to lose control. And he says, but actually, beloved, I want you to go so deep that the waters will be over your head. That's where he wants you to get. He says in Isaiah 58, 11, My beloved, I will guide you continually. I will satisfy you in drought and in dry places. I will make strong your bones. Remember, Jesus' words are prophetic. It happens when he speaks it. Take this tonight. Take healing. Take the strong bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. No matter how dry you may feel, that's your emotions. The truth is what is in your spirit. In your spirit should be his word. And then you say, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. In John 4, 14, Jesus said, Whoever takes a drink of the water that I will give him shall never, no, never be thirsty anymore. The water that I will give him shall become a spring of water welling up, flowing, bubbling, continually within him unto eternal life. Oh, take these words tonight. Fill up. Raise your hands and say, Lord, come and fill me up. I believe your words. I'm doing a prophetic act. In John 7, 37 to 39, he says, On the final and most important day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried in a loud voice, if any man is thirsty, let he come to me and drink. He who believes in me, who cleaves to me, trusts in me and relies on me, as scripture has said, from his innermost being shall flow continuously springs and rivers of living water. Jesus was quoting Isaiah 58:11, of course. But then in that day he was speaking of the Spirit whom those who believed him, who trusted and had faith in him, were afterwards to receive. For the Holy Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified or raised to honor. We are in the dispensation knowing this happened. We are on our way to Pentecost for the pouring out of the Spirit. Since that day it's available forever but God is a God of patterns so every Pentecost it's special to yield yourself to him again 
to fill you with his Holy Spirit. She's quite content now because she's in summer, she's bearing fruit and he's telling her these beautiful things about her. She thinks, this is it. I've got it now. I understand. But as we saw all through this book of Song of Songs, he's always ready for the next step. The moment you want to settle down and get comfortable, he prompts you to take the next step. He tells her, now you must ask for the winds of the Holy Spirit to come and blow over you. The winds of God. He wants to strengthen her still more. But to strengthen her, he needs to heal her still more, transform her and prepare her for his glory. She's not afraid anymore. She trusts him enough to obey immediately. And she calls out in verse 416. Awake, O north wind, and come, O south, and blow upon my garden, that its spices may flow out. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its pleasant fruits. I've heard so many testimonies and just sharings of friends of how the Lord is working with them in this lockdown time. Things they thought they dealt with long ago, the Lord would even go deeper and show roots that's deeper than what they thought. The north wind is the cold wind in Israel, and it brings deliverance. So tonight, lie on your bed and say, I call you north winds, come and blow on me. South winds, come and blow on me, so that my spices can flow out. And he will bring deliverance of things you don't even know Maybe he'll show you, maybe he won't, as long as you know a lot of things went last night, even in my sleep. See, deliverance is quickly. Healing takes a long time. The south wind is the warm wind that brings the healing. Now is the time, the final time, to be first filled with the Holy Spirit and then say, come winds of deliverance, come winds of healing. For one reason. He told me to call upon these winds. He told me, I want these winds to crush your garden, to crush the leaves and the spices so that the fragrance can come out. She did that. And now she invites him. She understands at last she's not working in his garden. She is his garden. And she says, let my beloved come to his garden and eat its pleasant fruits. She understands now, I don't have to try so hard to bear these fruits. It is there because I am his garden and he's working in me. He's breaking up the fallow ground. He put the hedge around me. He uh, showers me with his water and his rain and his Holy Spirit. Therefore the fruits belong to him. She understands now, she was giving away her fruit and her water freely and she forgot about him. Once he spoke to me, he said to me, you are giving out a thousand and keep two hundred for me. But in chapter 8 he says, I want a thousand of you and you may give two hundred to others. This lockdown time, beloved, is a time to give him a thousand. Let him work in you, his garden. 
Let him break up the shallow ground. Let him remove the heart of stone, the blockages. Let him prune you so that all these fruit that you are, will bear, are being and will bear will be for him first of all. Let us say with Proverbs 8.19, My fruit is better than gold, yes, than refined gold, and my increase than choice silver. That's what's said about Jesus. And he said, everything I say about myself, I want to say about my bride. Even more, I want her to say it about herself. There's also progression from my garden to his garden. Remember, she realizes her entire life and ministry is his, not hers. Nothing is hers. So she invites him to enjoy the garden's pleasant fruits. She realizes he is the one who planted and watered, who took care of the vineyard, who sent the winds. So the produce belongs to him and him alone. In Ephesians 1, 1 to 18, we read that the church, the bride, is Christ's inheritance. The bride understands this now. She wants him to enjoy his inheritance. Remember in the beginning he said, I want you to know how great your hope is and that you are my inheritance. I know you know I am yours, but do you know you are mine? In Ephesians 5.27, we read that Christ loves his church. He sanctifies her. He cleanses her with the washing of water by the word. Why? So that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, having no spot or wrinkle or flaw. No, but that she should be holy and without blemish. This is what he wants to do with his bride. She understands it now. And he answers her immediately. In chapter 5, verse 1. This is why I added 5 with verse 1 to chapter 4's ending, because he answers to her invitation. It's the end of that dialogue. Chapter 6 starts with a new topic. He says, I accept this invitation. 5 verse 1. He says, I have come into my garden, my sister, my spouse. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I have drunk my wine with my milk. Eat, O oh friends, drink. Yes, drink deeply, O oh beloved ones. The bridegroom has satisfied himself with her spiritual life in him in the same way that she relies on him, eating and drinking of him as the bread of life. Did you hear that, beloved? The bridegroom wants to satisfy himself with your spiritual life in the same way that you rely on him, eating and drinking of him. He wants to eat and drink of you as the bread of life. Is this possible? We can feed him spiritually in the same way he feeds us? Yes. He said, I want to see your face. I want to hear your voice. 
Why? Not to see how you perform. He said it because he loves your face. You're beautiful to him. He said it because he loves your voice. He loves the sound of it. This is what he means. I want to feed on you. I want to have sweet communion with you. Together, me and you. Revelation 3.20 I stand at the door and I knock. If anybody opens the door for me, I will come in and dine with him. We're back to that. I want to come and enjoy your milk and your honey. I want to taste first. And when I find your fruit is sweet and your milk and your honey is ready, I will invite my friends to come and drink from you, to come and eat from you. But let me taste it first. Don't just be used by people. He uses the possessive adjective my nine times. My, 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 my. He received everything she offered. He is thoroughly enjoying himself. She has become holy, he is heart and soul. This five one is the turning point in the bridegroom's wooing of her because he now invites his friends to come and eat and drink of her. We're halfway with Song of Songs and looking back we see there were two seasons of seclusion. The first was pleasant for the bride, chapters 1 to 3. She spent the whole time in intimacy. He did everything. He picked her up. He carried her into the inner chamber. He filled her with his presence, his love, his new wine and his tender words of love. He took the initiative for everything. And then she started to grow, spiritually maturing. And that's when she was bearing fruit. And he realized it's time for the second seclusion. But this one is difficult. This is chapters 4, 12 to 16. Why? She had to go alone up the mountain. She had to change her mind. He was there already. He was waiting for her there, but she had to walk that road alone because she didn't go when he asked her to go with him. She was set apart. She had to yield herself willingly to him to have his way with her. He had to do a specific work within her. Now it is done and it is paying off. He is quick to respond to her invitation. Therefore he comes to the garden. He is merry and he celebrates her maturity. Who are these friends that he invites to come and eat and drink of her? In John 2, 2, we see it's Jesus with his disciples. On the next level, it's also Christ with his church. He invites his church, the daughters of Jerusalem, to come and enjoy the fruitful life of his mature bride. Paul is an example of ministering his very life along with the word. That's why after a time of ministering you could feel drained. People came to feed on you and they feed upon the spiritual substance of your life as well as the word that you are sharing. This is a mystery. It is vital that we return to our source, Jesus Christ, after any intense period of intense ministry. For he's the only one who can replenish 
that which you have given out. That's another reason why Jesus said, If we do not eat his flesh and drink his blood, we have no life in us. John 6, 53. So, beloved, take communion before or after every ministry. Are you experiencing something in your spirit taking communion through this lockdown period? In the natural, it looks, it's almost like a ritual. We just do the same thing every evening. But you know who we are learning from? Our two little grandchildren. Talia, who is seven, Eliezer, who is two. I think Talia only started having communion with us when she was about four. See how the times are accelerated. Eliezer is two. He can't wait to take his glass with a wine. And he just keeps on saying, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And then he swallows it. And you can see in his eyes, his spirit knows. Although his mind and his brain does not understand, he knows this is something to do with Jesus. Talia loved to do the serving of the communion. And she knows what words to speak. We are really in a time of discovering the power of the blood of Jesus anew and the power of the Holy Spirit anew. We need spiritual substance. The world needs people with spiritual substance. And that you find in the bride. The bride have the ability to feed and nourish those who have nowhere to go for spiritual nourishment. And there are many, those who are truly hungry. They will become spiritually restless. There is an impression in their spirit, prompted by God, that there must be something more. A cry rises in their hearts. I'm tired of hearing about other believers' spiritual experiences with God. I want my own. Beloved, are you one of them? Are you truly hungry? Are you feeling spiritually restless? Do you have a sense in your spirit that there must be something more? You are crying out for your own spiritual experiences with God? Well then, this time of the lockdown is the ideal time for that. You can't run to a conference. You can't run to church. You can't run to a friend. You can't run to a camp or a ministry event. It's just you and him. And that's where intimacy starts. That's when you will hear the word behind your ear. He's waiting for you to cry out to him. To start seeking the bridegroom for yourself. To repeat the question of the girl in chapter 1 who said, Tell me, O you whom I love. Because you love Jesus. You want to go deeper. That's the restlessness in your spirit. You've given your heart to him. But you still sense there's something more. Then ask him, O Lord, good shepherd, tell me, you whom I love. Where do you feed your flock? Where do you make them rest at noon? I no longer want to be one who avails herself by the flocks of your companions. 
I want to find you on my own. I'm tired of trying in this flock and that flock, hoping to find spiritual experiences, spiritual substance, intimacy. I know your word. Surrender yourself to him completely tonight because the bridegroom is ready with his answer. If you do not know, O fairest, among women, follow in the footsteps of the flock. The footsteps of a flock is a little small pathway of intimacy. And when you've reached intimacy with him, you will believe what Jesus said in John 14, verse 20. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Yes, we know all. We know Jesus is in his Father. He always said that. I'm in my Father. But now tonight he's saying to you, my love, just as I am in my Father, so you, whom I betrothed myself to, are in me, and I am in you, through Holy Spirit. Let's pray. I feel the Lord says I must just testify after the previous session, chapter 4, part 1. After I closed, I just went into prayer. And as we prayed, the Lord showed me there were three women. And through this session, you, you were almost like blowing up puffing up from everything that was imparted into your spirit uh, you were puffing up puffing up puffing up and then you burst and then you cried and I just want to encourage you the Lord did a deep work of healing in you whoever you were I saw three people the fact that it was women doesn't mean women, it's the bride. So it can be a man as well. And it was three persons who needed inner healing of the emotions, of deep hurts. And tonight is going even further. And if you have not yet given over everything to him, if you're still too scared, he will not stop loving you. He will wait and woo you and wait and woo you. He will never stop changing us, healing us, delivering us. Because that's part of the scripture that says from glory to glory he's changing us. There's no such thing as you go through deliverance once and then, then it's over. You mean nobody ever hurt you again? You mean you were never betrayed again? No, we know we still get hurt by words, by actions. Our emotions still get hurt. I'm not talking about 
heavy sins of the past, baggage that you were burdened with, that you have to go and deal with to get a clean start. But even after your clean start, after your baptism, we still get wounds, we get heavy yokes, we get disappointed. Our hope is deferred, it makes our heart go sick. So all those things the bride must give to him. And that's what you will do when you invite the winds to come and blow upon you. So, our heavenly doctor Jesus, we ask tonight, send your cold north wind to come and blow upon me, that it will blow and crush anything that, that I kept uh, growing, which is not good for my soul or my body. Come and crush it, north wind. And let the sweet fragrance of the crushed spices flow out. And then come, O south wind, and blow over me and bring your warm healing. And the healing is the name of Jesus, the balsam of Gilead. And help us, Lord, to not act according to what we think or feel. Because all of us in these times are, have so much mixed emotions. Some days we wake up and we praise you and we thank you for what we still have. Other days we just don't seem to get to that point. But we still know in our spirit all those things are true. And some days we feel we fail miserably. And it's so good to do Song of Songs and see how many times the shepherd girl failed. It gives us hope. You never gave up on her. And I'm her, so you'll never give up on me. Oh, that we could see ourselves through your eyes, Jesus. His bright, triumphant, glorious, decked in jewels and jewelry. We know that's how you see us. And everything you say about us is true because you said it comes into fulfillment the moment you speak it. And we try so hard to, to live it out and we failed so miserably. But tonight you've come to strengthen us again. And we receive that strengthening tonight. Thank you, Jesus. I just see the small drops of, of oil falling softly, softly, softly. And quietness. What's that scripture? Isaiah 30, verse 15. For the Lord God, the Holy One, of Israel says this to you tonight, my beloved, in returning to me and in rest in me, you shall be saved. 
in quietness and confident trust is your strength. But you were not willing. Maybe you were not willing, but tonight you change this. Verse 16 says, And you said, No, I will flee on horses. I will flee from my enemies. We will ride on swift horses. Tonight you give that over. And you say, I tried that. It didn't work. I hear your words, bridegroom Jesus. I am returning to you. I am returning to my first love. And rest in him. And I shall be saved. I shall be raptured. In quietness, I will quiet my soul. Will quiet my mind. I will quiet my questioning. And in confident trust in you, I find my strength. I'm willing, Lord. In Jesus' name. Let's close with the statements of the blood of Jesus. We do it faithfully every time. Is it your first time? Then join in. We want to saturate our spirit, soul and body in the blood of Jesus. And tonight we speak it as a bride who knows this to be true. The blood of Jesus has redeemed me from the hand of Satan. Ephesians 1.7 the blood of Jesus has redeemed me from every curse. Galatians 3.30 In Christ Jesus I am free from every curse and blessed with all blessings. I shall be blessed in my place and my affairs shall be blessed. I shall be blessed at my work and the fruits of my labor shall be blessed. I shall be blessed when I come in and I shall be blessed when I go out. The Lord will cause my enemies who rise up against me to be defeated before my face. They will come at me from one direction but will flee from me in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on my bonds and on everything I put my hand to. And the Lord my God will bless me in the land, South Africa, he is giving me. Put in your own country there. The Lord will establish me as his holy people. Then all the people on earth will see that I am called by the name of the Lord and they will fear me. The Lord will grant me abundant prosperity. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, and he will send rain on my land in season and bless all the work of my hands. So I will lend to many nations but will borrow from none. The Lord will make me the head because I am his bride not the tail. I will always be at the top, never at the bottom. Deuteronomy 28, 1-13 The blood of Jesus has sealed an eternal covenant for me. Hebrews 13, verse 2 The blood of Jesus has reconciled me too and granted me peace. Peace with God the Father. Peace with all people and peace with all creation. Ephesians 2, 13-16 and Colossians 1, verse 2 The blood of Jesus has granted me forgiveness 
of all my sins. Ephesians 1.7 The blood of Jesus, the Son of God, cleanses me from all sin. 1 John 1 verse 7 The blood of Jesus cleanses me from all sin. 1 John 1 verse 7 The blood of Jesus justifies me from all condemnation. And so all the accusations of the devil against me are nullified. He makes me righteous as though I have never sinned, spotless, without flaw. Romans 8, 3, 24 and Romans 5, verse 9. The blood of Jesus sanctifies me and consecrates me, so I come belonging to my Lord as his bride. I'm dedicated to him, my bridegroom. I'm set apart by him for his ministry. 1 Peter 1 verse 2 The blood of Jesus cleanses my conscience from acts that lead to death so that I may serve the living God. He cleanses your conscience, cleanses your mind. You will no longer do acts that will lead to death. Your conscience which was seared is restored tonight so that you may serve the living God. Hebrews 9 verse 14 The blood of Jesus makes me enter the most holy place, the king's chamber, the place of intimacy, to serve the holy God. Hebrews 10 19 The blood of Jesus grants me victory over Satan and over all his principalities. I am not afraid. I am not afraid. Satan, the blood of Jesus, is against you. Revelation 12:11. The blood of Jesus is the reason for my everlasting rejoicing. Revelation 7, verse 14 and 17. Revelation 19, verse 6 to 7. By the blood of Jesus, I shall overcome. My clothes, my wedding garment is made white. I receive constant comfort from the Lamb. I enjoy divine company with Him. What can wash me white as snow? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. In Jesus' name, Amen.